Welcome to the Roots Podcast, brought to you from the Training and Equipping Ministry of Chanctonbury, exploring revival, church, leadership and culture. Discover more about our community at chanctonbury.org.uk. I was just thinking, isn't he good? You know, the world can come crashing around us. Um, all sorts of things can happen in our lives. And the one thing I was thinking uh, this morning is, um, as we were worshipping, is, isn't he good? You know, um, I don't know what's going on for you right now. I'm in a situation where um, just I'm dealing with something in my uh, personal life. And uh, I've got some guys all, you know, don't worry. But it's all, I've got people praying and things. But this morning, it was amazing because um, somebody who had no idea about uh, this scenario um, uh, did, did me a, a WhatsApp voice message and said, I woke up at, um, I think it was 6 a.m. or something like that, um, and the Lord said, pray for Jim. And she left a message for me uh, about what he'd said, and it spoke exactly into my situation and in a way that had such accuracy and such dynamism that you know there's words it just goes bam straight in and I'm like oh my gosh it was like the father himself sitting me down and going Jim have I got your attention I see (laughs) you know and and it was like he was saying I've got this And it was one of those beautiful moments. And I was just thinking, isn't he good? And I needed that word this morning. And he knew it. And he wakes up, one of my friends who has absolutely no idea, and gave this just very short but beautiful uh, message. That's the Holy Spirit at work. You know, and I know we're all... Uh, have different thoughts um, around the Holy Spirit, and I listened to, I couldn't be here last week, um, but I listened to what James shared, and I listened to the question, the questions that came out, I think they're up here, most of them, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> you've got a lot of questions, um, and, but there's some really, really good questions there, and, um, but it just got me thinking, you know, there's we might take it for granted that people understand or know or think and approach the Holy Spirit in the way that we do. Um, But of course, all of us have our own journey with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Before we get into today, uh, what I'm going to share, I I did want to hit one question that came up. Um, Just because um, I think it might really help us well, I, I think, well, if I was you, I think it would help me if someone shared this with me and that was my question. So one of the questions was, I'm not going to say who asked it, but I know who it was because I heard their voice. Um, and you might remember, which is fine. But somebody asked, um, basically, what does the Holy Spirit look like? You might remember that question. Really good question. Because in Scripture, we have this sort of ethereal idea of the Holy Spirit, a quite mystical kind of character. Uh, And there is mystery around the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and, you know, when, when Jesus is baptized, we all know that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So a lot of people think the Holy Spirit looks like a dove. I don't think he does. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard really weird descriptions about what the Holy Spirit might or might not look like. And, um, but let me ask you a question, and I think you'll know where I'm going to go with this. Do you have a spirit? Can I have some answers? Do you have a spirit? Yes. Okay, good. If you didn't, we're in trouble. Okay, you have a spirit. Basic, um, you know, in our humanity, the way I understand and interpret uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians is that we are made of body, soul, and spirit. Okay, so you've got your body, which is your physical being. Flesh and bones, what you look like. You're, effectively, this is a slightly unpleasant way of describing it, but your carcass, because you're going to leave it all behind. Okay, That's your body. Um, I'm not going to leave it behind today. But um, <laughs> Do you know, one of the reasons I said that is because uh, you know, not many people get the opportunity. This is going to sound a little morbid. It's not. That's just our culture that makes it morbid. Um, not many people get the opportunity to see someone who's dead. Okay, you may have and you may not have. Um, but if you've ever been in the room when someone's transitioned from this life to the next, and I know some of you will have experienced this, um, something happens, and you know, I've been there quite a lot because of my job, and it, it's an, it's, it's, in the life of a Christian, it's extraordinary. If it's a simple you know, process of gradually transitioning from this life to the next. And... Um, what happens is there's this incredible power that comes into the room. And uh, you are so aware of the peace of God. It's just utterly extraordinary. And um, it's like angelic beings are in attendance. And of course they are, right? Um, but you can feel them. It's just amazing. And, um, uh, and it's like they're there to usher this person to whatever comes next. I won't go into that piece. But something happens to their body. And what happens in that moment of transition is everything that animates them in this life goes. And their face rests and it becomes like, I don't know what the word is, sallow might be the word. It's, it kind of droops. And it doesn't look like them. And it's a bit weird, because suddenly this person is there, and you know it's them. And you know who they are, what they look like when they're alive, or, or even in those dying moments. And suddenly there's just this real moment where, oh, let's just take my grandpa as an example. I was uh, by his side when he died. He, he, there's this moment when he's there, even though I know he's on death's door, but he's, he's still there. And then suddenly, oh, he's not here anymore. And it, you feel it very, in a very real way. But everything that animated who he was was gone. And what was left was a carcass. It wasn't you know, rotting or anything. But um, that's what I mean by, yeah, so I'm going a bit too far. But the body and... Um, you know, if you, are in, if you have those experiences, the more that you have, 
the greater your, um, un- I th- well, the less your fear of death becomes. So the more you experience someone going through the transition from this life to the next, the less anxiety and concerns you have around the whole process of dying. Um, so if you ever get that privilege, just just be aware and you know it, it is a privilege. I know it's painful, of course it is, and it's sad for many reasons. Um, but but uh, yeah, quite uh, an extraordinary thing. So yeah, we're body, we're soul. That's everything that is the essence of essentially who we are. So it's my character, it's my mind, it's my emotions. It's the things that, the way I interact with life, that's my soul. Um, Paul often talks about it as his flesh. Um, And he doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But some of the language he uses in certain places, particularly Romans 7, you get this kind of, you know, feeling that he's saying the flesh is bad. Uh, He's not, but he is talking about some of the soulish stuff that takes over. Um, And then, of course, there's our spirit, which is that bit that comes alive when we say yes to Jesus. So what do you think my spirit looks like? (laughs) Thank you, Gene. Fantastic. Oh, I like that. Yeah. um, Someone over here said something. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't you think my spirit looks like me? I think my spirit, I don't know because I haven't seen it. But I reckon that my spirit looks like me. So what does the Holy Spirit look like? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. So probably looks like Jesus. I, I, I'm not saying, I know it's a bit weird because... Yeah, the Holy Spirit, or if you want to say the Holy Ghost from the older language, ghost just means guest. Uh, you know, it's an old word for guest, and he's the Holy Guest. Um, it's, uh, but he, obviously it's, it's the Spirit of God that, uh, and where we're going today, I'm going to hand out some notes now, and um, we're going to do today in, oh, I've done it already, haven't I? Sorry. We've done it, I'm going to go after this in two parts. And I've used for my template, some of you might recognize it, I've used for my template because I find it such a helpful process and way to go through this. Um, some of the way Nikki Gamble talks about the Holy Spirit at the Alpha Weekend. If you've ever done an Alpha course and you've done the Alpha Weekend, you might recognize the structure um, and perhaps even the biblical passages I've used here. Because actually I find it such a helpful approach in working through um, who the Holy Spirit is. And today we're looking at the Spirit's ministry and mission. Um, And I want to do it in two parts. And the first part really captures um, how the Holy Holy Spirit has worked through the Scriptures, uh, in a sense. And the second part is the impact on us as the people of God, the family of God. So, uh, But I have slightly adjusted it. And the way I share with it will be different to the way they talk about it on Alpha. So I'm not, um, but I just found the structure really helpful. So I've used that template. So just be aware of that. Can I pray and and then we'll get cracking. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to 
come together and uh, talk about you. <laughs> what great joy and privilege. And to learn about you and uh, think about you. So as we go through um, this process today of trying to understand more the Holy Spirit's uh, ministry and mission and the role that he plays within the Trinity, um, I ask, Lord, that you would um, just answer our questions, that through uh, the very direct interaction of your Holy Spirit, as I walk through these scriptures, that things will be animated and come to life, that you know people here are, are wanting to learn uh, or, or that, you know, the way we approach this, the things that come out would scratch where people are itching. And so, Heavenly Father, we just welcome you to come and inspire us as we learn more about you. Okay, one of the things I really would like to do is dispel any fear about the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about what he looks like is because in my understanding of, uh, you know... How we approach God. Most of us aren't scared of the Father. Now, I realize some of us might have a journey with our own earthly Father of some description, which is not brilliant. Um, and so we might have to work through some of that stuff in our life. But for the most part, we see that God as Father is a loving, nurturing, you know, uh, champion of us. And so most of us don't really feel scared of God as Father. Most of us don't feel scared of Jesus because we know that he, you know, when he lived on this earth, he went around and he went after the ones who were lonely and destitute. Yes, he was with all the religious leaders as well and the Pharisees, etc. And he, he brought challenge and things like that. We often see him as the the great supporter of the underdog and, and that sort of thing. But Jesus just brought life wherever he went. And we know that. And, and of course, he gave up his life for us. And that is such a powerful thing that for most of us, the experience of um, Jesus, there's no fear there. But when we come to the Holy Spirit, it's... And we're like, isn't he the same guy? Isn't he just the same as the Father and the Son? Like my spirit, you know, there are elements where it's different. My spirit is not my soul. There's a difference. You know, we talk about the Trinity of man. Um, but the spirit is absolutely the best part, in a sense, about me. And it's the part that transforms my soul to look more like him. It's the Holy Spirit as well, isn't it? Nothing to be scared of whatsoever. I'm not going to... Right, let's, let's run through this. So, um, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to jump through a lot of scripture. Um, you're welcome to do that. Um, if you want to just listen, that's fine. So, I know James started here last week, but this is just to to create, and, but he didn't do what I'm going to do, obviously. Um, but he did start here. So uh, Genesis 1, uh, 1 to 2, and we've got in the beginning, and I'm reading from the uh, NRSV. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, uh, sorry, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. That word wind is ruach, 
Ruach is the very breath of God. And when the, the Old Testament talks about the Spirit of God, it often uses the word Ruach. So this is definitely pointing to the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, if you go to verse 3, uh, hold on. Oh, yeah, let me just quickly touch on that. Um, the, uh, in verse 3, uh, where it says, then God said, let there be light. Actually, in the Hebrew, it, it just says, um, light be. It's just the verb, essentially, be light, light be. And, and, and it's, like, it's like God speaks into this void, and it's like light, be, and this thing happens, this breath of God. So how does it work? The Holy Spirit is involved in creation, okay? Jesus is involved in creation. We know that from John chapter 1. It's explored through Colossians and various other places as well. The, uh, Jesus is like the agent of creation. So God speaks, Jesus acts, and the Holy Spirit animates. That's, that's my understanding of how the process works. And so all of the Trinity are involved in creation, and the Holy Spirit is a big part of that. Genesis 2, um, verse 7, says... Uh, Then the Lord God fam, form, sorry, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Ruach. There it is again. The breath of God, the very Holy Spirit, breathed into the nostrils of man to animate him into life. And so we see this sort of idea of the Holy Spirit involved in creation. Okay, we're going to go hopefully quite quickly through this stuff. So next thing, um, the Holy Spirit came upon, uh, James mentioned this last week, but I just wanted to um, unpack where we might see this uh, in the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. Now in Exodus... Um, God gives instructions uh, to Aaron and Moses about the tabernacle, uh, which effectively was the first temple. And there's all, you, I'm sure you've read it, but there's all these instructions about how to build this, this tent of meeting, this tabernacle. The, the Israelites camped around it, so the center of the camp was the tabernacle. And of course, it's where all the sacrifice happened. It's where atonement happened, where people were made right with God, and there were all these um, priestly roles. We haven't got time to go into all that. But where we find ourselves here in the story in Exodus 31, verses 1, is this chap called Bezalel. And this is what it said. The Lord spoke to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him... With divine spirit, um, that could also be translated, I filled him with the spirit of God. It's just the uh, NRSV uses this phrase, divine spirit. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood 
in every kind of craft. So here we've got this guy, Bezalel. Uh, did I say his name right? Bezalel. I always say Be- Belazel. Bezalel. And he basically was the master craftsman of the tabernacle. He oversaw the whole thing. And so God comes upon him, and the Spirit of God comes upon him for a specific task, which is to take on this awe-inspiring role to build the tabernacle, which involves all kinds of crafts. He's got to, he's got to know how to work with materials. And you know, if you know the tabernacle, there are four layers of the tent, the main tent, that are made out of animal hides um, and things like that. It's not just one covering. There are four different ones in different colors. And the colors symbolize all sorts of things. Um, and, uh, and he had to understand how to do all this, how to convert animal hides into beautiful tapestry of you know, these, these um, cloths that cover the temple. He had to work with metal and gold and create the ark. I mean, how on earth... Do you do that? This box of acacia wood layered with gold with this, um, the mercy seat, the, the cherubim that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant with these wings that kind of came over the Ark. And within that space is where the very Spirit of God or the very presence of God himself dwelt in the tabernacle, in the most holy place. And, and here's um, Bezalel having to work out how to do this. So boy, does he need the Spirit of God, right? So the Spirit of God comes upon him and skills him up. How many of us want some of that? (laughs) I would love to get skilled up in like, can he just come on me and just give me French? You know, like I can speak a little bit of French, but not that well. I can get by. I'd love to be fluent. Wouldn't that be awesome if he would just come and drop? You know, in the Matrix, like, I don't know if you, you may not have seen it. It's probably not your generation, some of you, but... In the Matrix, there's this character, and they can download programs effectively into his brain. I know it sounds weird, but um, without having to go into it in too much detail. Um, And he has to do various challenges, and they can just quickly download a package. (laughs) And then suddenly, he's awesome in martial arts. He knows the whole lot, you know, or has all this knowledge and and can do the whole thing. That's basically what happens here. Like, um, Bezalel is obviously gifted and talented already. But the Holy Spirit comes upon him and transforms it into something else. Absolute, masterful creation um, and skills him up. So there's one space um, filled with the Spirit of God to give him excellence in knowledge and craft and design. Um, Judges 6. So we're going to look at uh, Gideon. And um, if you know the story of <coughs> Gideon, and I, I don't want to go into the whole um, Story. Sorry, did I say for, uh, Judges 6, not 14? Um, but it, it starts at verse 14. Um, uh, Judges chapter 6, um, the call upon Gideon. Now, um, God comes along and asks Gideon, look, you've got to lead the army. And Gideon goes, <laughs> yeah, right. Basically, doesn't he? He's like, I, I haven't got what it takes. And so... Um, uh, Then verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. Uh, Gideon responded, but sir, interesting, isn't it? Who calls God sir? But there we are. But sir, 
How can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He's coming up with all these excuses. I am not worthy is the core message there. Um, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and shall strike down the Midianites. And let's just quickly jump now to verse 34. And uh, so Gideon has said, uh-uh, I don't have what it takes. But the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. That's like a real like overcoming, isn't it? Uh, took possession of Gideon. And what does Gideon, how does Gideon respond? In an act of uh, brave leadership, he blasts the trumpet sound, which calls the people to arms, calls the army to, to war. So he, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit for leadership. And he sounded the trumpet, and the um, Abysrites uh, were called out to follow him. And so as he sounds the trumpet, everyone comes around to follow him. And there's Gideon going, ah, I can't do this. And then suddenly, the Spirit of God comes on him, burp, 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 or whatever the sound is, and like everyone is following him. The Spirit of God has anointed him with leadership. How often would I love that? <laughs> you know, those moments where you've got to make a difficult leadership decision or something like that. And, for this, and, and we've experienced it, I'm sure some of us will have experienced that in different spaces, and, and I have, and, and you know, that's wonderful. So that's uh, Judges 6. Um, in Judges fi um, 15, this one is a bit like the Matrix because we're talking about Samson now. In John 15, verse 14, um, it's quite interesting language, this. Uh, Judges 15 and verse 14, I think we all know the story of Samson. Samson was one of the judges, and you know he just had incredible strength. But he didn't have it before this moment. So when he came to Lehi, I don't know how you say that, Lehi, or however you say it, Lehi, um, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. Um, and then, you know, if you carry on, uh, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached down, took it, and uh, with it he killed a thousand men. So here we have Samson under duress, and the Spirit of God comes upon him and strengthens him, and he becomes a mighty warrior. So this is another way, and interesting language. I haven't looked into why it uses that language of rushed, but I think it's trying to convey the sense of urgency and God's urgent response to Samson in that moment. Um, so just something there about how God interacts uh, with the people. And then finally um, for today, there are other areas, um, but finally for today, Isaiah... Um, 61, which uh, we will all be familiar with. And uh, <clears throat> um, I think I've written it down, actually, so you don't need to turn there. But if you want to see it in your Bibles, um, you can. So, yeah, Isaiah states that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. 
What's he anointed him to do? He's anointed him to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to release, uh, and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. But what's going on here? What's Isaiah doing? Yeah, Isaiah is prophesying. So he's actually here not speaking about himself. And we know because, of course, Jesus himself in the temple unravels the scrolls to this passage. And he says in front of the uh, religious leaders and in front of the people who are in the assembly, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. So Jesus takes it to himself. But the point is that here, Isaiah has been filled with the Holy Spirit, because he says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit to prophesy. And this prophecy obviously applies very accurately to Jesus himself. And so in this moment, the Holy Spirit comes upon Isaiah and enables him to prophesy. One thing I want to mention while we're here, because it touches on a question that came up last week. One of the questions last week, and I know James is going to cover off manifestations at another session, but we will probably touch on it a little bit. Um, one of the questions was, where are manifestations in the Bible? And they are there, you know, and um, I think James touched on one of the ones last week. He talked about the fact that Pentecost looked like drunken behavior. Uh, and that's why they use the words, that's why Peter says, we are not drunk. It's nine o'clock, for goodness sakes. You know, but their behavior looked like drunkenness. And that's really challenging for us. Because often we can be in an environment where the Holy Spirit is, it seems to be, running riot. And we might judge the very person in front of us. Be very, very careful with that. Because the, the whole thing here is... What is a manifestation? And it's very simple. It's our body's reaction to the presence of God. And we are all different. So it's not God making you whatever you're doing. Okay, you know, the, It might be that you're reacting to something he's saying. right? So a friend of mine, when the Holy Spirit comes on him, does this. Because he's running with God. Okay, That's his manifestation. And... Um, you know, if you go back to, uh, I think Charlie might touch on this when he talks about past revivals, but, uh, which is coming up later. Um, but, um, you know, some of the manifestations in the revivals of the past uh, or, or moves of God in the past, some of them are extraordinary and weird. And um, we are never going to be able to put God in a box. And that it's definitely true that some people like to uh, feel like they're, um, you know, experiencing God and might bring on a manifestation on themselves. But I will never stop that unless it's very distracting for everyone who's there. The reason I will never stop it is because very often in that case, the Spirit of God will just come and bless the hunger of their heart. And I don't want to get in the way of the presence of God. So we have to be very careful when we talk about the manifestations of the Spirit. It's our body's reaction to whatever the Spirit of God is doing. And it can 
do all sorts of things, and I've done really weird things. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and I think James last week mentioned the frozen chosen. Um, you know, th- there's some people who just sit there or stand there, not moving at all, but a deep work of God is going on. Um, Bill Johnson, who runs Bethel Church uh, in, in the States, um, is basically always pretty much drunk in the Holy Spirit. He lives in that state, but you would never know. And, you know, it's, there's something about he's learned how to carry the presence of God. He's learned how to handle the feeling of drunkenness. Um, and it, I know it's not drunkenness. It's the Spirit of God at work. But it's, the language is used because there are similarities. Okay. Um, so, uh, in the Old Testament, in Samuel and Kings... There are parts where it talks about, uh, like, um, and Saul prophesied. In that moment, it means that Saul was manifesting in the presence of God. The Spirit of God was manifesting him, and he was probably shaking and trembling. And, And you see this in the Old Testament a fair bit. The Spirit of God comes upon someone, and where it says, and they prophesied, if it's not directly followed by prophecy, it's referring to they had an extraordinary encounter with God and it looked weird and we don't know how to describe it. So we're going to say, and they prophesied. And that's the word that's often used. So when you read that, it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Trembling is a common manifestation to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So you do see uh, the Holy Spirit moving in the people of God. It's different to the New Testament, as James shared last week, but it does happen in the Old Testament. And of course, in Acts, we see all sorts of things happen there. Anyway, that's just a little slight side note. So, to end that second section, basically, it shows us that the Holy Spirit can transform a man or a woman by releasing certain gifts to them at certain times. Okay, so that's uh, the the end of that bit. Let's move on to part three. The Holy Spirit was promised by the Father. Now, James did a couple of these last week, but just a couple more. Um, So, um, Ezekiel um, 36. Oh, I won't turn it because I've put it here. But Ezekiel 36, this is verses 26 and 27. A new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. What's this all about? This is about the law. And the fact that the law, and we haven't got time to unpack this, but the law was a stumbling block. And it was meant to be. (laughs) The law was kind of designed to show us that we can't do it. That's why it's so cumbersome. It was designed to show me I can't maintain that standard. I need something more. And this is the thing more that we need. It's that simple. So a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone that cannot maintain 
the, the instructions from the law, from Leviticus, from Numbers, etc., and Exodus. And I will put my spirit within you, and that will transform you from the inside out. So it becomes a lot easier to follow my statutes and observe my um, ordinances. And that sense of the spirit of God coming within us so that our kind of behavior looks like his. And it becomes a sort of natural overflow of the spirit of God at work within us. So um, that's one of the things there, the spirit. And that's a promise that is fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, James mentioned this one last week, so we don't need to turn there. And we all know it. But I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is in Joel. And your sons and daughters, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Uh, And I think you will know uh, what it says. But if not, you can turn there later. So the promise is there. And Peter, I think James did this last week. Peter points back to it when, you know, they're at Pentecost. And he says, this in front of you, this drunkenness, this is that. It's that prophecy from Joel. Okay? Uh, and then, I thought this was great, I got this, this is just direct from Nikki. Everyone surrounding the birth of Jesus is filled with the Spirit. So we, I'm not going to turn to these, cause, um, but you know, you know, Mary, she's filled with the Spirit, uh, Luke one thirty five. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit when uh, she sees Mary um, in uh, Luke one forty one, And John the Baptist himself, I think we can say... When he leaps in the womb, that's the Spirit of God at work. I'm not saying he was necessarily filled with the Spirit, but I think it's safe to say, given that Elizabeth was, <laughs> he probably was too. Okay, and, uh, and, and we see that in other places in the Scriptures too. Right. John the Baptist links the Holy Spirit with Jesus. So, uh, let's move to the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 3. And uh, verse 16, uh, and again, you will mostly know this scripture. It's a a well-known one. Uh, John 3, uh, verse 16. Oh, hold on. I've written the wrong verse, haven't I? Whoops. Of course, we all know John 3, 16. Oh, what's that verse? Yeah, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Help me out, Paddy. I've lost my reference. Does anyone know the reference offhand? I can't think of it. I've done a typo there. Um, never mind. You know that's a scripture, right? You don't <laughs> okay, great. Oh, thanks, Johnny. Matthew 3.11. Luke. Oh, it's Luke. My mistake. I've written John, and I meant to write Luke. That's it. Thanks, Johnny. Good old, is that a Google or is that just, come on? Oh, I, was getting, I was about to be really impressed. I tell you, Johnny really knows his scriptures. You've probably picked that one up. But he, he can quote so much scripture. It's, it's awesome. Um, but uh, it's quite actually encouraging to know that you do need Google sometimes. Um, okay. So um, Luke 3, uh, 16. John answered all of them by saying, that's right, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. 
he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here we've got John the Baptist linking the Spirit of God very much with Jesus. Jesus is going to transform this baptism into something else that will be powerful and fiery. Okay, So he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Um, and then in John 3.22, just a little bit later, we see that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. I mentioned it earlier. Um, in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. So we see there uh, Jesus being filled um, with the Holy Spirit. And then... Um, sorry, yeah, I don't know why I'd done that. Um, thanks, Holly. Yeah, I saw that it was Luke because I was reading from Luke. <laughs> Just scratch those out. I, I obviously, I do, John is my favorite gospel and I probably got a bit carried away. They are obviously references from Luke, so thanks Holly for uh, noticing that second one. Um, and then carrying on in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led again by the Spirit into the wilderness. So here we see again this sense where John, uh, well, uh, earlier, um, yeah, I don't think it should say John the Baptist links the Holy Spirit with Jesus. I mean, he does in that section. Um, but here, of course, this is now John the writer um, linking, rather than John the Baptist in, in chapter 4, linking the Holy Spirit with Jesus. So he explains that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned. So I just think um, you might want to edit the title. It should just say, uh, it's, it's the way I've um, adjusted somebody else's thought. So um, it's, it's really John the Baptist and John, the writer of John's gospel, link Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So, um, but you see there Jesus again, full of the Holy Spirit, he returns from the Jordan and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tested. Um, and then chapter, uh, verse 14 again, then Jesus, this is uh, Luke 4, 14, then Jesus filled with the power of the Spirit returned to Galilee, Galilee, and a report spread about him throughout the country. So, on this, um, what is um, the purpose of all this? Um, again, we touched on it before, but in Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus refers back to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And so Jesus here we see, uh, and we see it throughout the rest of the gospel account, he preaches the good news. He releases the captives. He restores, restores sight. He frees the oppressed under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he performs every miracle not out of his divinity. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus set aside his divinity. He laid it aside when he came to walk on this earth. He set aside his majesty, his divinity. Um, and uh, so it's out of his humanity under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So every miracle, every uh, resurrection, 
Every time Jesus walks on water, well, he does it once, doesn't he? When, he? when he walks on water, but every time he performs a miracle, turns water into wine, uh, multiplies food, does extraordinary provision by pulling a coin out of a fish's mouth. You know, these extraordinary things that he does, as well as all the huge amount of healing and freedom and, and, uh, and deliverance, which the Gospels only capture a snippet of, all of that he does as a human being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He does not do it from his divinity. And in there is a significant lesson to us all. Because he uh, takes us to a place and through his death and resurrection, the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead comes to live and work within us, we get to do what he did. Uh, more on that a bit later. But I just, it's really important when we see the miracles that Jesus did that we understand he did it out of his humanity under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him and remained on him, John says. We didn't look at John, the account in John. But in John it says, and remained on him. And... Uh, and that's what empowered him to be able to do the things that he did. And we get to access that too. So John the Baptist and John the Gospel writer very much link the Holy Spirit with Jesus. Okay, uh, section five. Um, and uh, I think this is the last, yeah, we're in the last one for part one. So Jesus um, predicts uh, the Holy Spirit's presence. So firstly, and I'm hoping these references are correct. Um, and so we're looking now at John 7. I think this one is. Thanks, Holly. She's one step ahead. So John 7, uh, 37 to 39, uh, says this. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit because Jesus was not, not yet glorified. That doesn't mean that Holy Spirit didn't operate through people at all. It just meant that the spirit wasn't ever present and this thing happens after when the cross uh, you know we've talked about this before but it is helpful imagery when Jesus dies on the cross a few things happen don't they there's an earthquake and various things happen and um, uh, the the great veil in the temple the huge great veil which is probably twice to three times the height of this building I can't remember the dimensions um, but this massive veil that separated everyone from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the, the very essence of God himself rested on that mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest was only allowed in there once a year on the Day of Atonement going through incredible rituals to ensure that they were ceremonially clean. In the moment Jesus dies on the cross, that veil is torn from top to bottom and the Holy Spirit, or God himself, the presence of God comes out, and he goes, hey, I'm here for everyone, 
every day, every moment of every day. It is no longer the Holy Spirit coming on certain people at certain times for certain acts. It is the Holy Spirit everywhere for all people at all times. I will pour out my Spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's all people, all who are thirsty, all who come to him and say yes, access this living water that effervescence is out of our heart um, and it's all people and, uh, and that's the transformation that happens um, through Jesus' death and resurrection and so here we have that first part uh, Jesus says anyone who is thirsty uh, for that person rivers of living water the Holy Spirit shall flow out of their heart uh, let's jump to Acts uh, chapter 1 Okay, uh, verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, uh, uh, this is the apostles, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. Um, this, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water. You see this language is coming through again. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, uh, despite the fact that Jesus has already said rivers of living water will flow from out of your heart, he explains and tells the apostles that they do need to wait for the promise of the Father. And he explains that that promise is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it would come very soon. And we, of course, we know that it did. We jump to the next chapter, chapter 2, uh, section uh, verses 1 to 13 where um, we are at Pentecost. And of course, the, uh, we won't read the whole section, but the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and they received a number of things. In verse 4, they received new languages, tongues. Now, tongues in this passage, I think, is in two forms. Okay, There's, they, The people of God receive new languages and they start celebrating the acts of God, the works of God, in languages that are unknown to them, but they are earthly languages. So that is one piece here. Okay, and people walk past and go, oh my gosh, that, you know, let's just put it in our context. Uh, well, you don't need to do that really, do we? But, you know, just imagine somebody who, just, who can't speak English suddenly just extolling the works of God. And we're like, you've never spoken English in your life. Um, I've got a beautiful story of a friend of mine called, um, you, you will know him now, he's now famous because of his book. He's called Charlie Mackesy, and he wrote the book, um, I can't remember what it's called, The Horse, The Mole, The Little Boy and the Duck or something. <laughs> um, you know the one I mean, it's, a really, it's become really famous. I've read it, but I just can't remember what it's called. Um, there's a fox, isn't there? Um, anyway... Uh, he, he told me this amazing story about um, uh, a friend of his who was in the army. And his friend who was in the army was out in, um, uh, in, during one of the Gulf Wars and just happened to be uh, using a restroom. And uh, he started singing um, in the spirit on the toilet. And a restroom, I went all American then. Uh, he started singing in the spirit. 
And the person in the next cubicle joined in. <laughs> and the person in the next cubicle was uh, an Arab of some form. And so speaking some Arab dialect, I don't know which one it was, but this person was just singing in tongues, thinking, you know, I don't know, I'm just going to sing to the Lord in tongues. Didn't realize there was anyone else in the, the, uh, the bathroom or whatever you call it, washroom. And, um, and ends up singing a song that the person next to him knew and started singing in their own, joining in. How cool is that? So it's like God downloaded a language he didn't know and, and a song. <laughs> it's really cool. I've got another story of a, another a church leader friend of mine called Jamie Haith, who, this is beautiful, um, this is back in the day when he was at HTB Church, this is back around the time of the Toronto Blessing, and uh, we were up in the gallery and um, uh, during the service, um, they've got a sort of gallery at the top, and it was worship, and he just started singing in tongues, and uh, I can't remember, you know, what it sounded like or anything, um, but he's praying in tongues, singing in tongues. And then um, after the service, uh, a young lady taps him on the shoulder and says, um, do you speak Spanish? And he goes, no. And he said, do you have any idea what you were singing? And he goes, oh, no, I was singing in tongues. It's a heavenly language. And this is a stunning story. You might, <laughs> I might need tissues in a minute. Um, and uh, she said... Um, she said, I came here tonight because I was going to kill myself. And I said, God, if you are real, you need to speak to me because I have nothing left. And Jamie sung in Spanish, you are my beautiful daughter. I love you more than you can ever know. And you are so precious to me. And he sung it over and over again. He had no idea. And this girl sitting next to him weeping her heart out, knowing that her Father in heaven loves her. Here you go. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh. He is so good. So the Holy Spirit releasing, you know, tongues in that way, okay? Um, sometimes it's a language, we just don't realize it. Obviously, it's definitely a heavenly language. And I won't go into it too much. I just wanted to, to um, open that up a little bit. Um, new languages, sorry, <laughs> taking too long. Uh, new boldness. So we see in Acts 2, the next section, when Peter addresses the crowd, you, you think, you know, what's happened to Peter, right? He has denied Jesus. And he was a quivering wreck at the end of the gospel accounts where, you know... The cross happens. He denies Jesus three times. He hides. You know, he's not the only one. You, you do know that every disciple abandoned Jesus. There is not one who didn't. But Peter gets a bad rap because his story is probably the biggest one outside of Judas. And so, um, you know, we often think of Peter as the one that got it wrong. It's really unfair. <laughs> um, every single one of them abandoned him. But Peter is a quivering wreck as we enter the cross, you know, the, the Holy Week accounts and that last 24 hours. And of course, after the resurrection, Jesus re, uh, reintegrates him, restores him, and he says, you know, that famous interaction, um, do you love me? 
Do you agape me? Lord, you know that I filio you. And he says it again. Lord, uh, Jesus says, do you agape me? You know that I filio you. And then Jesus says, do you filio me? And Peter gets a bit upset. And that's to do with agape is divine love. And filio is brotherly love. And, you know, so, but even in that, um, Peter is restored. And suddenly, things happen. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And this quivering wreck, who knows he's just been awful to Jesus, is transformed into this extraordinary leader, not dissimilar to Gideon. And then he preaches this most amazing message. And we know it's amazing, because what's the result? 3,000, probably a lot more, because, you know, it was a paternalistic culture, so they counted the men. But it says 3,000 were added to the church that day. I think we could probably triple that number. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. So Peter gets this new boldness because the Holy Spirit has filled him. Uh, and then uh, if you go back to Acts 1.8, a really famous verse. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so all the disciples are given a new power and we start to see it coming from here. And what happens is the disciples have all been in one place waiting for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes and they scatter. And the gospel spreads like wildfire. Um, and, um, and that's the new power that we're talking about there. And then um, uh, Acts 2 verse 39, in this extraordinary address um, that Peter brings, um, Peter states that this promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for you. So um, here he says, if we start in verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away. Who is that? Yeah, we are those who are far away. The promise is for you. And so God has promised to give his Spirit um, to every person that comes to him. So that's a bit of a whistle-stop tour um, through um, the scriptures around the mission and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, I know it's fairly simple, but we just want to ground it so that you, know, you, you can pull that, those pieces together. What we're going to do now is have a comfort break. And when we come back in 10 minutes, um, we'll have some question and uh, I'll give you an opportunity to ask some questions. I'm very aware that James is going to tackle some of these questions, and, but we don't know what he's going to tackle and what he's not. So I'm not going to tackle all of those, okay, because I don't want to repeat anything. Um, but if there's things that have come up from today, or just it would be interesting to see what the questions are. If I'm going to cover them in part two, I'll do that and leave it to that. If not, I might take some of them now. So we'll just see. Um, so if you've got any burning questions, bring those back. But let's have a 10-minute break, and we'll meet back here at 20 past 11. I just want to, before um, 
we get into Q&A, I just wanted to follow up on something because somebody, um, <clears throat> well, actually, I want to share two things. Do you want to hear, a, I think it's a cool testimony. Um, over Christmas, some of you were, will know about this if you're in KFCs, um, we, uh, we have a, a hardship fund and we just said to the KFCs, hey, if you've got any ideas of people we can bless or ways we can bless people in need over the Christmas season, um, can you let us know? And, and so the KFCs fed some things in, uh, the storehouse team with Mike and Ev fed some things in, and one or two others fed some things in. Uh, when I say fed some things in, I mean came up with families or households that have real needs um, in this time frame. Um, but one of the uh, one of the KFCs, which Jean is part of, the um, the Barnes, uh, Jonathan and Lynn Barnes KFC, they um, they had this idea to help the local one of our local schools, Washington School, um, set up their own hardship fund because they've got some some pupils there who can't access the pupil premium grants now. You may not know what that is. Pupil premium means you get free meals at school, so your parents don't have to pay for them. And it also means you get access to a uniform allowance. So it's just to help children um, who can qualify for this grant um, through the school process. And, and it really helps those families. But there are a number of families in this school who can't access that grant because they don't hit the, the target kind of requirements but actually definitely qualify for hardship. And so uh, what we've been able to do is create a fund through our hardship fund for Washington School. And it might not sound very much, but it, it's a lot of money for what they need it for. Um, and we were able to give them uh, £1,500 to set up this hardship fund so that they can give free school meals to these families. They can access uniform grants and things like that. And, um, and that all came from an idea from a KFC. The school were blown away, and I'm sure it's something that we'll probably continue to support. Um, but over that's just one of a number of things we did. Over, over the Christmas period, we gave £9,500 to uh, families and households experiencing hardship over the Christmas period. And so I just want to say to all of you, thank you for your generosity to the church, because your generosity enables us uh, to be generous as well. So thank you very much. And um, I just wanted to share that, because I know we haven't sort of publicly um, put that out there. I think I put it out on the Healing Center uh, WhatsApp group, but I haven't sort of mentioned it here. So thank you. Uh, one other thing I wanted to share with you is um, somebody came up to me asking uh, around Peter uh, what his response was. So... Uh, as I said, Jesus asks him uh, twice, do you agape me? Do you love me uh, with God love, divine love? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, I filio you. I brotherly love you. Love you like a brother. Uh, Jesus asks him the third time, do you love me? Uh, and he says, do you filio me, brotherly love? And then it says, Peter is hurt. Because Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? And in English, it doesn't make any sense. But in the Greek, of course, it does, because the word has changed. And Jesus has come to meet Peter at where he's at. He has said, okay, you can't do agape right now. So let's go with that. 
do you brotherly love me? And Peter's hurt because he can't meet, meet the standard, right? And then what happens is, uh, and, and you know Jesus says, feed my sheep. I left that bit out. That's another part of the narrative. But then, um, so Peter's hurt and he goes, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. So he keeps it at that level. And then uh, Jesus paints a description of, it sounds a bit harsh this, but it's to equip Peter for something. He, he basically uh, gives him a metaphor for the way in which he's going to die because Peter is, is going to be martyred, and Jesus knows this. Somewhere between uh, John chapter 21 and, Jesus, uh, and Peter's martyrdom, you know how Peter's martyred, right? He, uh, he doesn't want to be hung on a cross like Jesus because he counts himself unworthy. So he chooses to be crucified upside down, which is f- apparently far worse. And um, so somewhere between G- Peter saying, you know, Lord, that I filio you, and him hanging upside down on a cross, that filio had changed to agape. And you know where it happened. It happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And Jesus knew that was going to happen to Peter. And so there's something in this interaction that's there to teach us something about the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's not directly talking about the Holy Spirit, but it does point to this part where Peter encounters the Holy Spirit. He's baptized in the power of the Spirit. He rises up with boldness. And the rest of his life is a living sacrifice to Jesus because he's moved from filio to agape. And it's really important that we understand that. Peter did not stay at filio. So thank you for... Uh, raising that uh, with the question. Right. Let's um, just give a bit of time uh, for some questions. I always get nervous when we do this. Um, but are there any questions? There, are, there is a bit more. But was that first session helpful? I know some of it's probably repetitive. I'm getting some thumbs up. Great. I, I know some of you will know that stuff quite well, but it's always good to be reminded of it. Even as I prepared it, I'm going, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I'd forgotten that. So it's, it's great to be reminded of it. Um, but yeah, um, anyone got any questions um, they want to ask? And if not, we'll just crack on to the next thing. Um, regarding Saul, when he was prophesying, yep. um, I don't know if I understood what you said correctly. Were you saying that sometimes prophesying didn't end up in them actually speaking out anything okay. about God, and it, but it might have resulted in some strange manifestations? I'm yes. not sure if I understood that properly. That, that is okay. what I'm saying. Um, if you read the scriptural accounts, when it says they prophesy, actually it, it, it doesn't make sense of what's going on. So it looks like madness. Uh, it looks like drunkenness. And uh, so uh, the only way I can interpret that, because he does not prophesy in the way that we understand prophesying, is that he has an encounter with the Lord that just looks weird. He's trembling. He's speaking out things that don't make sense. And 
but they, the biblical writers describe it as, and he prophesied. But that doesn't make sense of what's actually happening. So those of us in the sort of charismatic sphere of the church interpret that as if this is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that they didn't know how to describe. Does that, does that help answer the question? I am saying what you asked. Great. Okay. Fabulous. Um, I don't really want to turn there to explore it all because it's quite complex when you read it all. But um, by all means, go and have a look. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. So there's, there's another account. Saul, Saul struggles with, with madness, and David plays a harp, and he, you know, that's separate. Um, it's, it's to do with when he's under duress, and he's trying to flee from Saul. Uh, sorry. Under duress. I'm, I'm getting my stories muddled up, because there are points where David does it too. There are a number of accounts in, uh, it's mostly in 1 and 2 Samuel where you can read about this. And um, I, I haven't looked at these passages for a little while, so they're not fresh in my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a separate incident from Paul's, uh, Saul's madness. Um, but it's, uh, I just... Uh, that it's in the Psalms as well that you find Psalms where it carries it. Um, but it's one of those I'm going to have to come back to you because I, I haven't got the narrative locked because I haven't looked at it for about three or four years. Um, can you say it louder, Esther? Samuel, one, 1 Samuel. Yeah, 1 Samuel, 21 to 23 or 25 or something. So that section, you, you can read it there if you want to look it up. Uh, 1 Samuel uh, 23, and then it sort of carries on. Anything else? Wow. James had loads of questions. But I realize, you know, there are some up here. Um, uh, okay. Um, he did touch on this one, didn't he? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Uh, I might just quickly have a look. Manifestations in the Bible we've done. What does the Holy Spirit we've look like we've done? Um, I think this is really good. Why don't we just have a quick word go on that? So how do we find the balance of continual connection... Uh, with God, not dependent on, what's the phrase there, Conti uh, crazy manifestations. So, uh, the way I would describe this is, um, in a way, it's a bit like eating meals. Um, you know, sometimes you are really hungry, and you really need to just, <laughs> inhale your food. You know, I know it's not healthy to do that, but sometimes if you have, if, if you just, you know, you haven't managed to have your breakfast, and then you're having a really late lunch, or you skip lunch and you wait to supper, or something like that, or you're doing intermittent fasting, or you're, you know, or it's a, a short fast where you're not extending it. 
Um, and it's sort of safe to sort of then eat quite a lot afterwards. You know, those times when you're really hungry, you can sort of almost wolf things down. But sometimes all you need is a bowl of soup just to keep you going. You know, there's a whole array of the ways we eat. Sometimes we just need a snack. And if you're particularly healthy, it might be more like a banana or some nuts or something. And if you're not, it might be a marathon or whatever they're called now, Snickers um, or a Mars bar or something like that. You know, I, um, so there's, the way that we eat is different. Uh, but none of them are particularly wrong. You just, it depends on the level of hunger. So... With the Holy Spirit, um, sometimes I need to be in a corporate environment where I'm encouraged by my brothers and sisters in Christ around me experiencing the manifestations of the Spirit. If you have ever been uh, in a room with somebody who has caught the joy of the Lord and it is genuine and they are in belly-aching laughter, it's very likely that that will spread through the room, even to the cynics, even to those who are going, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. You know, I don't necessarily mean cynical people. It's, it's just, you know, some people want to exercise caution, and, and that's okay. You know, whatever the situation is, but you can see a room transform. I've seen it happen. Um, it's happened to me. There was one day when I was at the Bethel School of Ministry where this guy, Seth Dahl, was giving a message. It was very early on in the, the year of the, the ministry school. And I so wanted what he was carrying that I just got up out of my seat. I walked to the front. Everyone was thinking, what is that guy doing? And I knelt in front with my hands open going, I want this. And he just went, yeah, get him, Lord. And the joy of the Lord came upon me, and I just started laughing my head off. And I kid you not, there's six to 700 people in the room, and they all ran forward and piled on top of me. And there was this mound of people laughing in the Holy Spirit. Um, now, I don't think many people have probably had that experience. I've, that's like my only one that's like that. Um, but for whatever reason, when I was out there, this was one of the manifestations that kept happening. And, um, and when it would happen, people would just come near me because they, they wanted a piece of it. They wanted to catch it. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit's like. At the beginning of my year there, um, we, were, we were doing this like retreats, which you do at the very beginning of your school year. And, and the Lord said to me, I said, Lord, how shall I position myself like, for this year? And he said, go to the fountain. He said, he said, look for the fountain in the room. And he wasn't talking about himself. He was partly. He was talking about where, what am I blessing? Who am I blessing? And run to it. So that's what I did. <laughs> Every time someone manifested, even if I thought it was weird, I just, I wanted him. So I would run to it. Um, why am I saying this? Oh, yeah, sorry, um, off topic. Um, so there are times where that corporate setting, uh, we just, we need an encounter with God for, we don't even know why. 
but we just get in his presence, and because he's so flipping generous and loving, he just goes, boom, I'm going to bless you. And you don't have to know what's going on. Sometimes we really know because he's speaking to us in the moment. Sometimes I'm manifesting in some way, uh, it could be any way, I have no idea why he's doing it. And sometimes I'm crystal clear on what's going on and I know what I need to do in that moment. Really different. Um, I've been in environments where, you know, even here at Chanctonbury, we've had this um, on conferences and things, where the Holy Spirit is doing something so, so extraordinarily powerful. And there was a time a few years ago with our particular group of interns back then where just the Holy Spirit was doing something um, and, and, you know, we'd have meetings where we'd be going, and, it, you know, I kid you not, and, and you might think, why are you doing that? There's this thing that God loves, which is the joyfulness and the playfulness of his children. We've got to remember we're the children of God, and he's our loving father. One of the things that brings the most joy to my heart is seeing my children love each other well and enjoy each other's company when they're belly aching, laughing. Like, Oki's got the most unbelievably... They've all, well, they've all got one, really. But Oki particularly does it a lot at the moment. A, the most infectious laugh. You just can't help me by, but be drawn into it. And when she's running around doing that laugh and Rex is chasing her or something, my heart goes, boom! I can't handle it. It's so beautiful. It's so extraordinary. And I'm a pale reflection at one level of our Father in heaven. How much more... Does he enjoy us enjoying him with one another? He is playful. Where do you think playfulness comes from? It's a godly quality. It's, we are taught to approach him in a childlike way. We are commanded. You have got to approach him in a childlike manner. Jesus is explicitly clear. Um, unless... You come to me as one of these little children. You don't have a place with me. He is crystal clear about the innocence of childhood. And I think there's something there about the playfulness of it. You know, all of us love humor, right? But where do you think that comes from? If we all love it, now I know there's inappropriate humor. and We probably, you know, want to avoid that. But we all love joy and laughter, and joy, of course, is a fruit of the Spirit. So when I was you know, with these, this group of interns and the Spirit was just doing something, I was telling them a story about how the Lord was teaching me about how you can release his power in just fun ways. And I'd, I'd be on a conference somewhere, and this is not here, this is before I came here, and I would just try it when I was filled with the Spirit. And somebody wasn't looking, I'd go, and they'd go, <laughs> you know, I'm like, and, and, and I got some of the, I was very inspired by a, a guy that um, Esther used to work with called Chris Gore. You, you will know, most of you will know Chuck Parry, who's been here. He's very playful in the Holy Spirit. He does things like this. And um, it's amazing. And so we were doing it with the interns, and I kid you not, some of you would have been here. We were, commission, uh, we were having a confirmation service. 
And the old Bishop of Horsham was here in his regalia, like this, about to confirm these guys. I was kneeling next to him because I had to be his like chaplain like this. And flipping Tom and Sophie and SJ, because uh, I'm just showing them this, they're like, let's get Jim in front of the bishop. <laughs> I kid you not, they were like sitting here going, <laughs> like this. And because the Holy Spirit was on me, every time they shot me, I'd go, Wah! like this. <laughs> Poor old Bishop Mark. Um, and, you know, it was really fun. And actually, the bishop, he actually quite enjoyed it. <laughs> he, he told me afterwards. And, you know, he's, he's high church, so this was really, like, a big step for him. And um, there's, so there's something about playfulness. And, and those kinds of encounters, you know, play is really important for children. And we are the children of God. So we need to play with God. And I think if there's one thing I can say to myself, I need to be more playful. Uh, at home, with God, with, you know, I, it's so easy to be serious with God. And, and just playfulness is such an important key. So that's part of it. The other piece, though, how this connects, what about the everyday? When I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, um, you know, what do we do? And... I, I had this moment with um, James Decas once where we, <clears throat> we were outside. It was a beautiful hot summer's day. I think it was a, a healing centre day here in Ashington. Um, and we'd come along to be part of that. And then I, I needed to... I can't remember what the issue was that I had. I just said something's happened and it's really... It just really hit me. And I was in that slight sort of funk where I just wasn't really feeling like myself. And he just said, was, and I knew it, but I just needed my mate to tell me, you know, like we do sometimes. He said, Jim, just fall back into the fountain. And, and it was so simple. And, and all he literally meant, do that manifestation, fall back, and see in your mind's eye the fountain of his spirit, and take a big drink. And I literally went, and then he prayed for me at the same time, and my whole perspective in that moment transformed. Now, James just knew that was the right thing in that moment. The Holy Spirit released it to him. Could have been something else. Um, and that's what I needed in that moment. Um, and that wasn't a radical encounter. But then every time that issue cropped up, I fell back. Um, Another trick I learned from Seth Dahl um, uh, is really fun. It's what, how he teaches kids, and I've shown this here before, but if you just imagine a barrel, okay, a barrel of wine, and he, um, he teaches children, every time you want to feel the Holy Spirit, get your barrel, and he says, create a barrel like this with your arms. And he said, this playfulness, right? But it's, it's helping children capture something visually of what he's like so it's not that he's in this barrel but it helps visually he's he's in here right and he's all around us but uh and he goes like dunk your head in the barrel whoa you know and just the the spirit of god comes on you 
It's so simple. And it's silly. And I think sometimes the thing that stops us receiving from him is that we're too serious. Um, The biggest hindrance to receiving the Spirit of God is caution. Now, I understand caution. I absolutely do. But the biggest thing we can do to receive the Holy Spirit is just to say, yes, I want you. And I know there, were another, there was another question about what if I don't feel him? What if, um, when I'm uh, after, you know, wanting to experience the Holy Spirit, I'm not pursuing a manifestation. I'm not pursuing a feeling. I'm not looking for that. But what happens, the more you do it, is you are able to discern where he is, like in the room, or you can just, uh, so something might happen, for example, we're in church, and suddenly the temperature goes up. You know that feeling? Um, Sometimes you might be aware of it, and sometimes you're not, but somebody else is. And actually, if every time it happened, we went, hey, can you feel that? you would start to see more clearly what it's like. He is always on the move. He's always doing something. And there's something about us training ourselves to just know what it feels like. And that's why someone can walk into the room and go, whoa, because they've been training themselves to experience it. It's not that he's not doing it otherwise, but we, there is an element of learning what it feels like, how he moves, um, and how it feels like for me will be different to how it feels like for Ev, or Felicity, or Bella, or Paddy, or, you know, it, it's, we're all different. And our manifestations will be different. Because my manifestation is the way Jim Waddell reacts to the presence of God. And it might look like the way somebody else does, because there's obviously going to be similarities. So it's really about... Um, Keeping in step with the Spirit, um, if you, there's a really good book on this by Bill Johnson called Hosting, Hosting the Presence. And he has this beautiful image where he says, imagine you've got a dove on your shoulder. How would you walk to keep it there? Well, you'd do no sudden movements, would you? You'd, you'd walk very cautiously and slowly. It's a really helpful image of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How do we walk to maintain the sense of his presence wherever we go? Um, I think James captures this beautifully. Um, it's something he, he's learned to do. And it, you align yourself and you, you take everything in your capacity to break the lies that tell you you're not worthy that tell you that you're not good enough, that tell you I shouldn't have done that. or you know, there's, there's an element where we obviously need to be aware of the, uh, you know, our own selves and if we've done something wrong and that sort of thing. But every time the enemy comes in to steal, to kill and destroy, the way that we walk with the dove on our shoulder, the Holy Spirit, is in alignment with the truth of who we are, of who he is, and affirming that in our lives. And the more that we do that, the more that that sense of the tangible presence of God will be fulfilled in our lives. There are simple disciplines like reading the scriptures. There is an anointing this year on 
you know, some, some people have it all the time, but there, there is, it feels like to me there's anointing this year on just reading the scriptures and stuff coming out of the pages. I've, I've spoken a lot of people who've been experiencing it, um, particularly in the last few months. And so that's just a simple discipline. But really, the big thing is um, making space for him. And it's as simple as going, Lord, here I am. The emotionally healthy spirituality stuff uh, may not float your boat, and it might. It depends how you're wired. But that looks more at the contemplative traditions. Um, and for some people, it keeps them in the presence of God. You know. But it, whatever works for us, I'm more like, I just react to him right now. But if I stop and go, here I am. This is your time. And I'm snacking, in a sense, on the presence of God. The more that I'm living in that space. But inevitably, it, it feels like we go up and down a bit. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. Let's get, I don't want to take too much time. Let's get into the, this. Um, what time is it? Right, I will race through. There we go. So, whoops. Right, I'm going to go straight in. Um, we're going to jump to uh, Romans chapter 8. Beautiful passage. Uh, Romans is immediately after Acts, if you're not sure where to go. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 14. <clears throat> right. The Holy Spirit affirms our identity as sons and daughters of God. You'll see a theme through this section, uh, which is sons and daughters, family of God. Uh, that's the, the way I've articulated it. So, Romans 8, uh, 14 to 17 um, says this. Sorry, I'm on the wrong page. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And there's the bit about heirs there as well. So... Um, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And really, that's a simple thing about our identity as sons and daughters. The more we are able to um, recognize that the Spirit is doing it and open ourselves to the Spirit's presence, the more we grow in our sense of sonship or daughtership in the Lord. Um, or, or the, you know, you might not. Some people don't like the language of sonship um, uh, for various reasons, and so you might prefer to think of uh, experiencing the Father's love. It might be a more helpful language um, to use there. But there is something important that we are the sons and the daughters of God, because it's about inheritance. But we are all sons in the sense of inheritance. Because the inheritance went to the firstborn son, and that's how all of us are seen uh, 
as, you know, as the Father looks upon us through Jesus, we are like the firstborn son who inherits. So that's why that language of son is there. Um, and uh, some Bibles just keep it to sons, but it's actually, it is everyone. It's the sons and daughters here. So um, uh, that sense of adoption, we've been chosen, you know, uh, to have this encounter with him. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to take you back into fear, but received a spirit of adoption. So that conveys three things. Firstly, uh, verse 14, uh, we have the highest privilege. Why? Because we're children of God. Is there a greater privilege than to be his child? People often talk about, you know, what it would be like to be, you know, the, the child of, let's say, a loving father who's, you know, really successful, a billionaire or something. And, uh, you know, it, it probably wouldn't be. But people do talk about things like that. This is the reality of that, you know, dream, perhaps a slightly broken one. This is the reality of that broken dream realized, the highest privilege that we are the children um, of the Father. So we enjoy the highest privilege. Secondly, we encounter the closest intimacy. Um, Jesus says, you know, he calls God Abba, doesn't he? And then here, we're encouraged to do it too. When we cry, verse uh, 15, Abba, Father, that means Daddy God. So when my kids say to me, Daddy, it's a term of endearment and affection and uh, respect and love and all of that stuff. And, you know, um, it's the same here. I've, I've used this illustration before. Sorry if you've heard it before. Some of you won't have heard it. Um, with my kids, I did it with all of them, but the most recent, because she's the youngest, has been Oki. Uh, we would do, uh, I would whisper into her ear, and I still do it. Um, I'd go, Oki. And she kind of goes, hmm. And she goes, Daddy. That's so silly and simple, but it's beautiful. And that's the intimacy of the, a loving parental relationship. And that's what we have access to with the Father. It's that sort of piece um, of this just, I can't help but love the person in front of me. I, I almost can't, I, I just can't not love her. And she can't not love me. It's just this thing, this bond, you know. And, and it's the same. And uh, we have this extraordinary thing where we can encounter the closest intimacy because we are his sons and daughters. And we can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Uh, you know. And then thirdly there in verse 16, uh, we encounter the deepest um, experience. Uh, and, and that's that sense of uh, that spirit of adoption. It, it's an experience where we've been removed from anything that feels like we don't belong into something where we utterly, completely belong and are fully known. Every single thing we've done is fully known. Because we've come to Jesus, it's fully forgiven and we are embraced into his arms. I can remember moments growing up where I'd been naughty and 
you know, and my dad uh, would punish me or whatever, but there'd always be a moment of restoration, probably not always, but I do remember points of restoration where there's that moment where he pulls you into his arms and he says something like, everything's going to be okay, and suddenly you feel safe, and there's this experience of safety, of strength, of protection. And that's what this is sort of referring to. We encounter the deepest experience of adoption. Okay, second one. The Holy Spirit develops our relationship with the Father and with the Son. So, uh, uh, jump through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you will find Ephesians. Ephesians 2, chapter 18. Uh, sorry, verse 18. Ephesians 2, 18, and it says this. For through him, both of, her, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. What um, Paul is saying here is that the both of us, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, that's the context. So if you go a bit further back in the passage, that's what he's talking about. He's speaking um, into the context of both Jews and Gentiles. And so he says... For through him, both of us, whether you're Jew or Gentile, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So through the Holy Spirit, we get to develop our relationship with Father God. Very simple. I don't think I really need to say anything more about that. Uh, Let's flip back to Romans uh, and uh, Romans 8, a little bit further on, verse 26. Um, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with with sighs too deep for words. And so this is the piece about prayer. And the Holy Spirit is very involved in developing our prayer life. Now, often people think of prayer as, you know, this thing where we make requests of God. Now, you might not do it like this. You might be very, you might be, or you might be very free. And, and, you know, however you do it, but we make requests of God. That is a tiny fraction of what prayer is. Prayer is your connection with God. It's your relationship. It's how you communicate with God. It doesn't have to be done through words. So the Spirit uh, talks about size there. See that? But that very Spirit intercedes with size too deep for words. And it's the same for us. Sometimes I can just be in His presence and go, ah, and that's prayer life. We often think of prayer life as getting up early in the morning with felicity and Rending the heavens, and that is prayer life. That's, that's important, and it's powerful and good. But actually, it's much bigger than that. It's the everyday building of our relationship with God, um, and it's the interactions we have with him. Whenever we talk to him, that is prayer. Whenever he talks to us, that is prayer. So I want to sort of blow open the understanding of what prayer is. Okay? Um, and the Holy Spirit develops that relationship. And that's, we see it there, Romans 8, verse 26. 
Okay, back to Ephesians 1. <clears throat> and verses 17 and 18. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of what his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Now, I know that's a, there's a wordy uh, section of Scripture there. But essentially, I'm taking us there because the Holy Spirit releases um, uh, revelation and wisdom as we come to him. So as we come to the Father, the Holy Spirit releases wisdom to us and revelation. So there could be a situation in front of me, and I don't know how to walk that path. And I can come to the Father and go, help. And sometimes I get nothing. And sometimes something is downloaded, either uh, directly to me, or sometimes, like this morning, a friend might leave me a message on WhatsApp, and it goes right in. You know, there's different ways it happens. But the Holy Spirit develops our ability to grow in wisdom. In our ability to, to get direct revelation from the Father about our lives, about maybe a situation of how do I parent my kids through this, or how do I reverse parent my 90 year old father who's having a terrible experience right now, or whatever it might be. Um, how do I interact with my manager at work or my colleague at work um, who I'm having an issue with? How do I resolve this relational issue? All those things, revelation, the Holy Spirit brings it, and it's part of that developing of our relationship with God. There's more we could say, but that, that captures it for now. So, next part, the Holy Spirit causes us to look like the Father and the Son. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Which says... And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. So that thing of being transformed into his likeness, um, of becoming more like Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, and so we're transformed into Jesus' image and likeness. And, and this one is about Jesus, not the Father. Okay, so and all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. Why is it reflected in a mirror? Because you can't look at the direct face of God. So if you look at it in a mirror... Um, it's, you know, Paul is using imagery there to help us go, you know, to help the people of the time. They'd have gone, can't have a direct look in the face of God. And that was a way that um, it could be. So it's rather than it being direct, it's reflected in a mirror. And even with that, we are being transformed into his likeness. We begin to look more and more 
like him. Um, you know, children often end up a bit like their parents, right? We, uh, when I was young, um, my dad was in the army, and um, you know he would leave the house in depending what he was doing, uh, either his regular sort of army wear, um, or he'd be wearing camos, um, or you know all of this stuff, and um, he had access to the army tailors, and so my friends and I, because we were all sort of living in this garrison, which is a bit like a, an army housing estate, um, would uh, want to be like our fathers. So we were getting this, you know, professionally made army equipment, uh, trousers, uh, jackets, those flannel shirts, the badge that says what else, you know, all that stuff. And we'd walk around like this, come on, all our six-year-old girlfriends swooning, uh, probably laughing. And, um, but, you know, there's that thing of uh, children wanting to be in that innocent phase like their parents until they hit a certain phase where they might be a bit embarrassed uh, about their parents. But... There is that sense of we uh, are made in the image of God and all my children have traits of me. Some of them are good and some of them are not. Okay? So, uh, we uh, very similarly, we uh, become like him and the Holy Spirit is involved in that process. Okay, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Uh, obviously, this is the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is, and you know what they are, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity is the translation in the NRSV, uh, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. Um, goodness is the, I think, probably a slightly more accurate word. It can be translated generosity, but uh, most Bibles would probably put goodness there instead. But it doesn't really matter. They're both, they're both characteristics of God. So, uh, he is the essence, isn't he? He's the essence of these things. He's the essence of love, of joy, of peace and patience and all of that. And the Holy Spirit very simply grows these qualities in us as we encounter him. And uh, I've put mediate there. That's meant to say meditate, obviously. And as we meditate on the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, it's really important that we work on our character, isn't it? And if we don't make that a goal in our lives, we will not grow in the fruits of the Spirit. So we have to uh, take time to reflect on where we need to grow, and we take it to the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord. And this is what happens. When, uh, when I asked the Lord to teach me what it meant to love people, I went through probably the most horrific couple of years, because you went, are you serious? Do you want to know what it means to love people? Okay, I'll show you. How does the Lord show you how to love people? He gives you every single opportunity to be angry and offended and cross and react and go, that's not fair! And he says, feed my lambs. And he says, do you want to move from Filio to Agape? And it's like, I don't think I do if it's like this. You know, and everyone 
in those two years lets you down. And what does love look like? And it doesn't always look like being a doormat, does it? Sometimes it is because there's an element of humbling of ourselves. But sometimes it means stepping up and bringing challenge. And that's really hard to do well. And so it depends. But, you know, um, and it depends how he wants us to learn to love. And how he will want me to do it is different. Because I'm weaker than you are in some areas and probably, uh, I'm not speaking this over you, but it might be possible that you're weaker in some areas than I am. And, 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 or stronger, whichever way we look at it. But we all have uh, different approaches to this. Sometimes I can come away from a situation and thought, oh, I handle that pretty well. I feel quite pleased. And then I'm like, eek, I'm moving into pride. Where's the humility? You know, but we do need to recognize our strengths as well, and there's something very good about that. Uh, so growing in these things is hard and painful, and it involves pruning. And that's uh, not always easy, but the Holy Spirit is very active in the process because they are his attributes, and he's the one who grows them in us, and he's involved in that process. And that's part of all of us becoming more to, uh, that we look more like the Father and the Son. Okay. The Holy Spirit fosters unity in God's family. Um, do you know, it's funny. There aren't many scriptures in the New Testament about this. Um, but I'm just going to go for one. And um, Ephesians 4. When, do you know, when I was growing up as a teenager, for some reason, I latched on to this verse. Um, I just, the Lord just wanted me to understand unity, and I, um, I kept coming back to it, um, Ephesians 4. And um, uh, the big part is, uh, in the NIV, it, it puts it slightly differently, and I think it starts the sentence in verse 3. Um, at the NRSV, slightly different. But um, the bit that struck me was, where it says, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the unity of the Spirit is that peace where the Holy Spirit is the agent of unity. So when we are in a situation where there's a threat to our unity, we need to draw on the unifying power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I would say about unity is, is this, that um, unity is not believing the same stuff. It's choosing to love one another through our differences. And so sometimes it might be that we feel we can't unify with somebody because their thing is so different to where we are. Um, but in the people of God, we, uh, you know, he's not asking us to be uniform, identical Christians that all look the same. It would be robots and it would be useless and it would be a complete chaotic mess because we're one body with many members, with many different experiences and attributes and all of those things in their best form are vitally important for the church and vitally important for the world. So unity is really important because inevitably in this room there are differences of opinion on every single seat. But we can approach the Father together in unity and we can worship corporately in unity and we can choose to love one another through our differences. James's approach to a passage might be different to mine and I have no issue with that whatsoever and neither does he. Because I love him, he loves me, we're brothers in the Lord 
And the fact that we approach it differently just means we bring out different attributes of the passage, um, as would you. Okay? And so it's, that's part of being a unified church. If we're seeking uniformity, we will split and divide. There's no way around it. You cannot be uniform. But unity is really important, and the Holy Spirit is the, the agent through which that happens. Okay? So if we want to seek unity, we just come to the Holy Spirit and we ask him to do it. It, it has other nuances to it, which you'll see. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's the foundation upon which the pursuit of unity sits. Patience, gentleness, loving one another, preferring one another in love. Those are the attributes that we need to foster unity. And uh, because where unity doesn't exist, you're going to have to pull on those to find it. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is the one who brings it. And largely, that's because it's the fruits of the Spirit that need to come into operation to foster unity. Next one. And I've slightly changed this one from the template. But the Holy Spirit empowers God's children with signs and wonders. And often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, this is where people often think we're heading. And of course, a lot of the time it is. So obviously we know 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, verse 7 says that the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. And it puts it like this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right. Um, quite important this. Um, if the manifestations of the Spirit are for the common good, how do we handle that when somebody next to us is going, or whatever they're doing, and we don't understand it? It's for the common good. You don't have to answer. It's a slightly rhetorical question. What we want to be very careful of is that we don't judge it. Not our job. What we do need to be aware of is if somebody is manifesting an evil spirit, we certainly don't want to be blessing that. And I've seen people do it. <laughs> uh, in that case, we are moving towards deliverance um, or just closing it down for an appropriate moment, depending on the scenario. Okay? So um, I've seen someone literally clawing like this. <laughs> and people around are going, more Lord. I'm like, What? <laughs> Are you serious? I think they were just confused. They were probably young Christians. They didn't know what was going on. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't my environment, so I couldn't step in to do anything because it wouldn't have been appropriate. So I went to the leader of the room, and I said, I think there's a deliverance going on there. You might want to take a look. Um, anyway, and they dealt with it. So we do need to know if someone is manifesting an evil spirit, but if they're jumping around joyfully, they won't be. You will know if they're manifesting an evil spirit because it's flipping ugly. And, um, uh, you know, clawing, hands go like this. That can happen under the influence of the spirit occasionally, but it's very rare. But clawing, animalistic tendencies, uh, faces, <laughs> that's the sort of stuff that happens um, in deliverance. Um, and, but sometimes people have look like there's nothing going on. Deliverance happened at Washington a few 
months ago, literally as I was preaching. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, it was really so quick. And I didn't even make it happen. Just Jesus did it. And, um, and this person just, I, I don't want to say what happened, but it was just this person expressed something very powerfully deep and guttural, and it left. And that's all I can say. And it was, I knew, that's a deliverance. I didn't make anything of it at the time. I just completely ignored it. Um, but uh, we didn't need to. It wasn't the case where it needed to be explained. But that deliverance happened, and really powerful. So sometimes it can just be like that, and then sometimes it's the other stuff. Slightly off topic, um, but it does um, bear things. So the, the spirit is given for the common good for all of us. What are the gifts? We know what they are. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 12, obviously. Uh, depending on your translation, it might say utterance or a word of wisdom. Um, we've touched on that, but that's a wisdom given in a moment for a specific, probably a specific situation, rather than a growing wisdom. Uh, a growing wisdom will come for m- many people, but that's not what this is about. This is about... Uh, moments where it's released um, words of knowledge again it's about moments where they're released a word of knowledge is something you couldn't know about something or somebody else apart from direct revelation from the father does that make sense a bit clunky perhaps something we can uh, if um, the Lord wanted to do something in Ev's life and he wanted to get her attention he might say to me um, now obviously I know this so this is not a word of knowledge uh, Jim, uh, I wanted to tell Ev that her daughter is called Louise. Okay? Now, if I didn't know Ev, and I went up to her and said that, she's going to go, yeah, you're right. Okay? And so he uses them to get our attention or to encourage or those kinds of things. It's something we couldn't know apart from a direct revelation um, from our Father, and it comes through the Spirit of God. Faith. That, again, these are specific moments. So this isn't just growing faith. Um, but, but it is faith in a given moment. You might be facing an impossible situation and you need faith to address it or to lead others through it. And you might feel out of your depth and all that sort of thing, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit releases faith and you know it can happen. I had someone come to me saying, um, a friend of mine is in a relationship where the person is being abused and, sorry, we won't be too much longer, the person is being um, abused in this relationship, and they need um, they need freedom. And so I said, let's pray. And in that moment, I had absolute faith that by the end of our prayer, our prayer time, this would be over. And I prayed with him, uh, my friend, not the, the girl that was experiencing the abuse. Um, I prayed with him, and we, we prayed, and I, I think we were in our early 20s, and we both went, Oh, it's done. After about 20 minutes of intense prayer, we knew it was done. And later that day, he got a phone call um, from um, his friend to say that this abuse had been recognized. The pastor of his church had called him out, and now the police were involved. It all happened at the point at which we started praying. And the whole situation changed. For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit in that moment released in that moment released faith to me for that specific thing. My prayers are not always like that, but it does happen. Okay, and I think you'll relate. 
Um, healing, obviously, I'm not going to do the healing center workshop here, but that is a huge part of what we get access to. It doesn't work like this. It's not like somebody has a gift of healing and somebody doesn't. It's not how the Holy Spirit works. He releases it as he chooses to whoever is a willing and present person through which he can release it. So um, some of the teaching you've probably heard before is that so-and-so has a gift of healing. I just don't think it's like that. And it eliminates people from accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. He releases it through all of us whenever he wants in the moment. We just have to be willing and ready to say, be healed. And we have to step out in faith to do that. Okay, there's a lot more. If you want more on that, do the Healing Centre teaching on... Oh, they're going to be here, actually. They're going to do stuff in the training centre anyway. So uh, that's awesome. So that you will get all that teaching. So I won't go after it now. But just, just to say, again, he releases it as he wills. And we've got a verse to cover that as well. Working of miracles. Now, that could mean anything, all right? There's all sorts of miracles. And some of you will have seen multiplication of food. I've seen multiplication of petrol, believe it or not, uh, where I managed to go 100 miles on an empty tank. Don't ask me why the Lord did it, but he did. And some of you may have had an, a similar experience. Um, you know, there's all sorts of miracles. There's the, the miracles Jesus does that we may not be able to experience because there may not be any benefit to us in experiencing them, like walking on water um, or those kinds of things. But then there's the other stuff like resurrections. Come on. You know, there are some really awesome things that we get to see. And we do hear testimonies of God's miraculous provision and intervention in people's lives. Don't we? It's so exciting. Prophecy, again, just ask the Lord speaking to us. Um, I'm not going to say anything more about that. Uh, what, uh, actually, one thing, though. Again, um, God releases prophecy as he chooses and wills. This is not about the prophet, the office of prophet. Some people are called into a specific role within the church where their job is to train and educate and release the prophetic gifting in the people of God. That's the office of prophet. But all of us are prophetic, and we operate in it at different levels. Um, okay? So uh, the Holy Spirit releases that prophecy, the everyone prophecy, as again, as he wills, for the, co the common good. The discernment of spirits, um, again, we probably don't need that quite so much these days as they needed it back in the New Testament church. A lot is made of discernment of the spirits, and I would avoid them at all costs. That's all I'm going to say. There's a lot of ministries that think they are discerning the spirits, but they are just heaping judgment on the church of God. And I think it's a vile offense in the kingdom of God. Be very careful with the discernment of the spirits. Um, tongues, uh, we know that's been talked about. Uh, we mentioned it earlier um, and the interpretation of tongues. While we're there, let's just answer the question that came up about interpretation. Does a tongue always need to be interpreted? No, it does not. Okay? Uh, it depends on the environment. When uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, talks about orderly worship, or writes, should I say, about orderly worship, and he says, if anyone has a tongue, it needs to be interpreted, that's because it's public 
in the sphere of the people of God and probably those who don't know God. And so the tongue needs to be interpreted because it's in a public sphere in a corporate worship environment. So that needs to be interpreted. If it's the people of God singing in tongues together, that does not need to be interpreted because there's no reason to interpret it. We are bringing glory to God through words we cannot even understand. And that's okay. Hopefully that answers the question. So public, single, spoken tongue needs to be interpreted. And don't let that, in your KFCs, make sure someone gets the interpretation. Someone will have it. Because if God releases the tongue, God will release the interpretation. And sometimes we have it in a public setting and I go, has anyone got the interpretation? And it's just deathly silence. And I'm like, okay, it's on me. (laughs) But I will always go for the interpretation. We need to interpret it in that environment. Okay, Romans 12, 6 to 8 lists other gifts, which include serving, teaching, exalting, encouraging, giving, generosity, leading, and cheerful compassion. Um, There's also gifts of administration, which I think the word serving... uh, captures administration okay so there are other gifts outside of the corinthians list there um uh, there are also the offices so you've got apostolic uh prophetic teaching evangelistic and pastoring those are the the offices and they all capture gifts so there are things slightly beyond these lists okay 1 corinthians 12 verse 11 these gifts are activated by the holy spirit to each person as the Holy Spirit chooses. What does the scripture say? All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Simple as that. Okay? So that's what that's about. And then lastly on this, the Gospels and Acts. Throughout the Gospel accounts, wherever Jesus speaks about the kingdom... He demonstrates the kingdom through signs and wonders. Throughout the book of Acts, the apostles demonstrate their proclamation with signs and wonders. These include the gifts mentioned above, but also resurrections, deliverances, water into wine, miraculous catch of fish, miraculous feeding, walking on water, calming the storm, miraculous provision, tongues of fire, sound of rushing wind, miraculous prison escape, angelic sightings, open visions, trances, Miraculous earthquakes, snake bite immunity. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Translation. Translation is uh, I'm here and suddenly I'm in Brazil and there was no aeroplane involved, right? That's translation. People, believe it or not, in this day and age have had that experience. Utterly extraordinary. It still happens. Shipwreck protection and more. Okay, there's so many different things we could put in that list. But I've just sort of pulled out some there. Okay, this is really cool stuff. It's so exciting. And it's the, the real kingdom of God in at work among us. Um, beautiful. Okay, the Holy Spirit is committed to the growth of God's family. And we're coming into land with this. Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit empowers us to witness through what we do and what we say. Uh, very simply... Uh, witnessing, we may not all call, be called to be evangelists, but we are all called to witness to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit empowers it. Okay, if uh, that's something you want to grow in, Nick Taylor is developing some tools to help us, and there will be opportunities to 
explore that in the coming months. In conclusion, let's finish at the end of the Bible, pretty much anyway. Revelation 22, verse 17. I've actually written it there, but I'm gonna, I like turning to my Bible. So. The Spirit and the Bride. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. The Bride, that's us, the church. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. And really it's a simple encouragement to say that the Holy Spirit is the water of life. And we just need to say, yes, come Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. Um, it's about being hungry for him and just saying yes. I know I have taken you through a lot of stuff today and it's been quite long, but the, this is the grounding we need to understand how the Holy Spirit moves among us. You can take this away and do your own study on it. Um, James next week is going to be, I think, answering one or two of the questions, but focusing more on the elements of how we get filled with the Spirit and targeting some of those things. So I'm not going to touch on that. This is more the sort of, like I said, the sort of foundations of how it all happens. Um, and there will be opportunities throughout the training centre to explore this more deeply. So we're going to, I think, finish there. I, I was thinking we could do some ministry, but I, I didn't realize we'd end up at half 12 <laughs> I think I should let you go so um, should I pray thank you so much for bearing with me through what was a long um, uh, a long session um, and I oh thank you um, <clears throat> yeah I mean ultimately you know Love the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, we all do. Uh, we know, I know we have different approaches, and we might have feel, things where we can be cautious or perhaps a little skeptical about things we've experienced in the past. Because very sadly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not always handled brilliantly, and people do get spiritually abused through it, and that is tragic. Um, but that shouldn't stop us from approaching Him. Um, if you ever experience anything that looks like spiritual abuse here at Chanctonbury, uh, unless it's me that did it to you, <laughs> please come and talk to me. Um, it can happen, well-meaning Christians, uh, in all good conscience, uh, without meaning to, uh, can sometimes overstep the marks of you know, our authority. And so we just... If you've had that experience, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with somebody. Don't gossip about it, but do share it. And uh, if you need me or James or, or anyone else to step in, you know, do come and see us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the mission and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the way that the Holy Spirit empowers and equips the way that the Holy Spirit releases, the way that the Holy Spirit uh, fosters unity and all the things we've looked at today. 
There are so many activities uh, of the kingdom that the Holy Spirit is involved in. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit looks, I think, like Jesus. The Holy Spirit looks like the Father because he is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Jesus. And we thank you that not only does he look like them, but he acts like them. He captures their attributes and their character traits. And we have nothing to be afraid of or worried about. We can just say yes because he loves us like the Father loves us. He loves us like Jesus loves us. It's the same stuff. And so, Heavenly Father, for any here who've experienced uh, something around the ministry of the Spirit that didn't look like you, I ask right now that you would bring and release your healing anointing on those individuals. Anyone who's experienced spiritual abuse at any level, we just bless you, Lord, to move among them right now to bring healing and freedom and forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, we ask that wherever our questions are and wherever we may have anxieties or concerns, that you would help answer those questions, whether it's through conversations we have uh, in our KFCs or with our friends or with other leaders around us, whether it's through our own study of the scriptures. We ask that you continue to develop and grow our understanding of the Holy Spirit. But mostly, Lord, I want to pray, as the Spirit and the Bride say, come, that we would embrace the water of life and allow those rivers of living water to well up within us, to stem, uh, well not stem, but to flow out of our hearts. That the activity of the Holy Spirit would be real, true and powerful in our lives with the ultimate goal that we would become more like Jesus and that the world will come to know Jesus. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on The Roots Podcast. To connect with our community and to find other resources, visit chanctonbury.org.uk.